This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 7, Episode 5. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network of podcasts, brought to you by Silencer Shop, our new title sponsor, and we're proud to have them on board. Today is Wednesday, August 10th, 2022, as of the recording of this episode, and I am your host, Riley Bowman, and I'm joined today by Jacob Paulson. Howdy, 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 howdy. I would expect nothing less than a howdy, howdy, howdy from our great uh, Wyomingite. <laughs> That's uh, a stereotype. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, uh, welcome this evening. This is an evening recording of the podcast. Uh, been a busy, busy couple of days, weeks, and actually the last couple of months here. And we are glad we can finally get this one off the ground here, Jacob and I together. Tonight we'll be discussing drawing from behind a table or steering wheel, essentially drawing from a seated position, but when you got to deal with obstacles in your way or in your environment. So that'll be an interesting topic of discussion, I think, this evening. And stay tuned also for, we'll, we'll do a brief announcement of something that uh, is exciting, and we'll probably discuss it length another time. But first, uh, in addition to our title sponsor, Silencer Shop, our episode this evening is sponsored and brought to you by LASR, or Laser Activated Shot Reporter. Uh, you can find them at laserapp.org, L-A-S-R-A-P-P.org. This is the software Jacob and I have been using for years now, in combined with dry fire practice using a laser shot of some kind, whether you're using a cert pistol or a laser cartridge inserted into the chamber of your gun. The laser app software picks it up through your webcam as that laser beam is impacting a typically a paper target of some kind, but it could be a light switch, it could be a doorknob, it could be all kinds of things. Laser app will record the shot location and shot time data and give you valuable and important dry fire practice feedback which is one of the tools I've used over the years to improve my dry fire practice. We hope that you'll consider trying out laser app, laserapp.org. The laser X version is what I primarily use these days. And I think laser classic is still an option as well. Although probably a little bit less popular than the, than the laser X option. So check them out, go to lasrapp.org. And also today's episode sponsored by barrel block barrel block with a k.com we are proud to have barrel block as part of our family of brands here at concealedcarry.com and have another tool also that supports dry fire practice and enhances it in terms of safety jacob i mean i'm gonna throw it to you and ask you know for for your input i guess on on your thoughts uh, about barrel block yeah every gun should come with a barrel block but it don't so buy one the only real like the massive significant downside like if we're just talking about the elephant in the room here with barrel block is that it's 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 too cheap it should be more expensive so for only 12.99 you can get a barrel block that comes with three mag blocks 
And in fact, I saw an article on a very reputable website today uh, referencing Barrel Block because that particular article was about the dry fire tools you can travel with that are very compact and easy to travel with and use in your hotel room or you know when you're in, out and about. And so Barrel Block was referenced there. Barrel Block is the easy tool to ensure the gun is safe. And and the, the mag block that it comes with, you can leverage with a variety of other um you know, things you might be doing. You might be using, for example, like a laser dot or other laser insert type cartridge thingy, but you could use the mag block with that. So between the barrel block and the mag block, like I said, the major big downside is that it's, it should be way more expensive. So uh, for twelve ninety nine, just go get that done. Awesome. Check out barrelblock.com. It's B-A-R-R-E-L-B-L-O-K.com. So uh, before we get into our topic tonight, I didn't, I didn't uh, approve this or run this by you, Jacob. Uh, we discussed talking about this, but uh, decided we'd do a full episode another time. But I'm going to just throw it out there that one of the reasons why you haven't seen me much or seen much podcast content from us in the last month plus is because we've been so dang busy getting a new holster company up and going that we acquired uh, six, seven weeks ago now. And that company is KSG Armory, ksgarmory.com. Uh, Jacob and I, we went down to Texas, finalized the deal back in mid-June, and purchased KSG Armory from previous owner, Gabe, friend of ours, uh, something that he wanted to uh, move on from and so he could do other things in his life. And coincidentally, we were interested in having a holster business or at least a holster line of products within our uh, family of brands. So uh, we are super excited to welcome again into kind of like Barrel Block, which we did earlier this year, but to welcome into our family of brands, KSG Armory. And that boy, that has been dang near all consuming for the last <laughs> little while, hasn't it? Well, yes, but it doesn't hurt that you're like a kid with a new toy. Um, that's true too. <laughs> Riley, Riley likes playing with, with holsters. Yep. This, this is a thing, uh, I guess to put, just add my two cents to it and know that we're going to talk more about the why and the what, uh, in the future, but it's important to understand that at concealcare.com <laughs> before buying KSG Armory, we had sold over 100,000 holsters of other companies, Right. Other companies brand holsters. We'd, we'd sold over 100,000 of them. So we've been selling holsters for a very long time. And through our own journey, some of you have been listening to this podcast since the beginning, since 2016. And, and you know that you know we've grown a lot. We've learned a lot. We know a lot of things now we didn't know before. There's still plenty for us to learn, I'm sure. But we have a pretty good sense for what makes for a good holster because, frankly, there's nothing more relevant to our brand then sticking a gun in a holster and that holster working well. We're concealedcarry.com. It is at the core uh, of, of who we are and what we study and what we do. And so we, we knew we needed to do something because we just didn't see the perfect solution on the market. There are some companies that we, by the way, would happily endorse their holsters. Uh, probably that, that list is less than 10, probably less than six. But there are some companies out there that make some amazing holsters but we just didn't quite have the ability to put out exactly what we wanted and to do it in a way that, that we felt that needed to be done. And so while we continue to endorse some of those other companies' products, uh, we just felt like we needed our own thing. And we spent, I think it was 
2019, Riley, that we wrote a business plan. I mean, we, we straight up like everything, how, you know, how much up front capital, space, labor plan, like the whole thing. And we just never quite pulled the trigger for any number of, of big reasons. And then this came along and the opportunity was good. And so, yeah, poof, one of one of those brands that we would have readily endorsed that would have been on that list of six or so or less companies, uh, you know, six months ago is now our own. So we're pretty thrilled. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, you're you're totally correct about all that. In fact, I think I was bugging you about possibly starting a holster company even before, you know, a good ways before we uh, wrote that business plan, uh, partly because I started dabbling in it and thought that maybe I'd do some things on the side, mostly because I wanted to make some holsters for myself because I didn't find exactly what I was looking for at the time. And so, uh, yeah, here we are. So yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll explore this and talk some more about this at length. Like you said, some of the hows and the whys and what's going on behind the scenes, uh, just as a tease, I guess a teaser, but as an example, uh, part of the reason why we're just barely getting the podcast going this evening is because I was in the thick of it trying to finish a uh, mold uh, that will be making uh, HKP30 holsters for us in the new Lexington line and just finished that and tested it and everything worked like a charm. So awesome, you know, and rushed back home here. So we do the podcast. <laughs> That's been kind of the the name of the game for a while now is uh, do all that that we can and then try to fit in the other things we know we're also supposed to do. We'll try to be a little bit better with getting podcast episodes recorded in the future. All right. Trying to get back, uh, back in the saddle, like I said earlier with that, with respect to that, I think it's, I mean, we still have a lot, a lot of work to do, but I think it's getting to where it's a little bit more manageable. So anyway, guys, let's uh, now turn to our topic for this episode. We're talking about drawing from a seated position, but not only that, but also from behind a table or perhaps from behind a steering wheel while you're seated in your car. In other words, you're seated, but you've got to deal with obstacles in your way. So that is the topic tonight. In fact, this was featured most recently as a topic, as a drill, if you will, in the most recent Shooter Ready Challenge video, which you can find at ShooterReadyChallenge.com, and it's titled Drawing with a Table or Steering Wheel. So uh, you can go check that out and watch that and get some dry fire practice ideas from that. That's part of the main reason why we provide or produce that Shooter Raid Challenge video series to give you dry fire tips and ideas. So drawing from behind a table or steering wheel, this is something that, I mean, have, have you considered people? Have you, have you thought about this? I, I imagine many of you have. Um, have you thought about how you do this certainly from within your car? Uh, that's probably an area that a lot of us spend time during the course of our daily lives. So how would you go about doing that? What's the proper way? And what are some of the safety protocols, if you will, that we should consider as well? Yeah, um, I got so many ideas bouncing around my head. I'm trying to decide where to start. But uh, here's just a couple anecdotal things to kind of give some context to this. I remember the first time I thought about this. And it was when I was doing an, an in-depth analysis of the Las Vegas Walmart active shooter mass shooting, whatever uh, situation from I think 2015. So the reason it's relevant to you know drawing from 
you know, when, when you're done with the table or stealing wheel or whatever is because before the two assailants went into the Walmart and decided to shoot people up there and, you know, take a step, final stand, they first walked into a CC's Pizza, which is notoriously cheap, arguably semi-delicious, and everywhere in this country. So CC's Pizza is a, is, a, is a restaurant. And in this restaurant at the time were at least two police officers sitting in a booth and the two assailants walked in and gunned down both these officers. And neither officer got a shot off. And I always thought that was really interesting, just the idea that they didn't get any shots off. And obviously, you're distracted, you know, for all I know, you're shoving pizza in your face or looking down or I don't know, any number of things that might make a person not realize the bullets are flying in your direction. But neither officer got a shot off. Uh, I don't know if they got their guns out of their holsters. I couldn't say to that, uh, but but according to the news story, they didn't get any shots off. And I always wondered if there were some situational, contextual things that maybe created challenges. I'll give one more little anecdotal thought here, and then and then we can keep rolling. But here's what I definitely can say from experience. In our Guardian, Guardian Pistol Curriculum, uh, which we put students through, you know, students have the opportunity to sign up for up to three levels of that, kind of a level one, level two, level three, uh, essential standards and, and uh, breakthrough. In that curriculum, I think it's in standards in the second class, um, we do an exercise, a drill to this effect. Basically, we start with just, you know, seated draw, and then we'll add an object. And generally how that's done is I'll just take a notebook or a, 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 a what's the word I'm looking for? A, a board, something, you know, that I got in my hand. And I will just stick it kind of in front of the shooter while they're sitting and kind of simulate, hey, here's the restaurant table. Uh, that's in front of you, or here's a desk at your work, or here's the steering wheel in your car. Um, and okay, now now go ahead and draw and see what happens. And it inevitably, like on very, it's a very rare circumstance that that's not a problem. That the student's just like, okay, you know, pull up gun and fire away, <laughs> almost without fail. They run that gun right into that thing, and they're like, ah, suck. And they like stop and like really like pause and think. And like all things, when you're pausing and when like when you when you are forced to think about how I'm going to do with this thing, then we start to see safety go out the window. Right? We have to be very we have to be very cautious in the environments. We have to be really on top of it as as instructors and range safety officers. Um, so it it's it's clear it's apparent that even those who have some practice with drawing from a seated position, they've never considered by the nature of how we generally do firearms training how that might be affected by an object in the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's, um, there's, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of variables at work here, uh, depending on the individual, depending on their specific draw stroke, how they've developed that. Um, and, you know, I used to be of the opinion that, you should draw like all the time. And this is, this is how I was trained many years ago. And I continued to do this for a long time until I realized I kind of had a wake up call that I realized I was actually, I had just sort of naturally evolved in my draw stroke and was no longer doing this. Certainly not nearly as pronounced. And what I mean by that was the, the idea was draw the gun, get it basically clear holster, come up high and then punch out to the target and sort of this, L shape 
And I would say now my draw stroke is very much more just a, an escalator style. In other words, as soon as you clear holster, you basically like go into the target and which frankly is just, is just more efficient when you're really starting to split hairs and try to get every, you know, hundredth of a second off of your time. Um, but what I've also noticed is that drawing from a seated position, be, including behind a table or while within a vehicle, behind a steering wheel, uh, I, I already have the foundation of skill and experience that I understand the context that I'm in and know what I need to do in order to have that draw be un, unimpeded. And so that's uh, just, I, I want to mention that it, at the very least, so if anybody sees my draw stroke and says, well, you know, this, you know, you're, you're teaching us false doctrine because, you know, you used to say this or you did that or you actually do this way, but now you're talking about this thing. And the truth is, is that context matters with respect to just about anything that we do. And now, as far as drawing from behind a table or a steering wheel, that is basically the, the the gist of it is that the idea is we need to clear holster. And as soon as we can, we want to get that gun oriented parallel with the ground or towards our target. And then we'd bring it up as high as we need to, to clear the table or steering wheel or other object, and then finish our presentation to the target. And with practice, it can be done very quickly and very efficiently. Although as we see in the shooter rate challenge video, my shot times or draw to first shot is on average at least a quarter second and perhaps four tenths of a second slower than what it typically would be if I was just standing and drawing with nothing to impede my draw. And so obviously there is a cost in terms of time and efficiency with having to deal with whatever object is in the way. And yeah, but we just we just need to we need to figure out what that is that we need to do and apply our skill set to that that particular context. I would say that I've certainly been in a few circumstances where drawing a gun and getting hits on target while seated would be rather challenging. And I'm talking about restaurant table booths that are so tight. You know, where you're, you slide in there and you're like wiggling your butt across the seat and you're like, there's barely room for me to, you know, fit between the seat back and the table here. Um, those can be challenging, but it's important that we think about those situations and have a plan for those situations. And I'll say this much because whereas if I was sitting, sitting at a table where the chair is movable, I would probably and again, context dependent, but I'd rather not fight while being stationary in, in a chair. I'd rather be able to move and change angles and that sort of thing. And so, yeah, okay. Put, you know, move my, my chair back, stand, drop rounds on target. But if you're in one of these tight booths, you probably don't have that option, at least not immediately. So think about what you got to do to do that. And, the whole point of this shooter rate challenge is practice that set it up. It's easy to do. 
Yeah. Um, I want to come back to this idea of, you know, standing and then drawing or drawing while standing. So I think that's relevant to this topic and, and also may give some thoughts about where I sit when I go into a restaurant. But, but beyond that, I, I want to come back to, to some other things you said. I, I think <clears throat> I have to be careful too, because I'm on record of saying things that I may have changed my mind about. I, there's a, we, we did an episode many moons ago and, and Riley, you actually weren't in it. I think it was just Matthew and I, but the name of the episode was one draw to rule them all. And at the time I had this very strong ethos around the idea. And, and I still, by the way, think this is better than not, or that this, this idea has some credence, I should say. I, I don't think it's a bad thing. I just don't take as strong of a stance on it as I might have when this episode was recorded. But the premise of the episode, One Draw to Rule Them All, was the idea that um, if you have to have different draw strokes for different scenarios or situations or clothing or you know, whatever, then that's less awesome than having one draw that is the, the draw you use all the time, no matter what, no matter what clothes I'm wearing, no matter what I'm sitting or standing or in the car or at my desk or you know walking down a hallway at the – at the in, in church, like it's just whatever, like I, it's always the same draw stroke. My guns are in, in the same place. And so I never have to think consciously about what my draw stroke is going to be. And I think that that, that certainly has some validity, but, but I, I also think that, and I, I have this category of things now that I, I call there's sort of this bell curve of, well, when you, when, when you're newer at this, you probably should do it this way. And this is a good training ethos and a good consideration, but with a, a great amount of repetition and skill and knowledge and experience, you probably get to a point where it becomes less important. And, 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 and like another thing that I could put in that same category is uh, training with the same gun all the time. Uh, when you're newer, it probably makes sense. Like, oh, this is my carry gun. I should train with this gun all the time because that's the gun I'm going to carry. I think that becomes less important the more proficient you become. And the same thing with this draw stroke thing that we're talking about. Uh, you mentioned, right, that you kind of now uh, your your draw is such that, what, you know, when you're dealing with a table or an object in the way, you have to make some, 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 some changes to how you would otherwise normally naturally draw. Uh, and so... So I guess that that's my first starting point for here is just to kind of you know, bring some summation to that thing that you shared. If you're listening to this, as you start to practice this this whole idea of drawing, you know, with it, with a table in the way or a steering wheel in the way, uh, in, in a dry environment with a safe, you know, inert tool, inert gun, that you might think about, well, how is this? Do I need to change my existing draw stroke in order to achieve this? And and you need to ask yourself the question, well. Then if, if the answer is yes, then am I going to have two draw strokes or do I want to just create one that will work all the time? And I think both have are potentially valid and, and acceptable answers to the question. That, that's that's what I wanted to kind of summarize on that that point. Yep. Uh, you're, that is absolutely a thing. You know, you mentioned this uh, bell curve concept that – we are all at different points along the path or the journey or even along that curve. And I would say that it absolutely probably makes sense. Absolutely. Probably <laughs> it makes sense uh, to consider simplifying things when you are just getting started on this journey. 
in that as you gain and develop skill, you will, I think, because that's, I mean, some of it's been stuff that I've had to learn, whether it's been from other instructors or by seeking out that information through various sources. A lot of it's just things that I've figured out as I've gone. And as I've gained experience and skill, I've made slight adjustments to what I used to do. And, you know, so that things are a little bit more nuanced for me now. Now, I don't have to consciously, I, I, I believe this fully, I don't have to consciously think about, oh, I'm behind a table now, so like I need to draw, I need to execute draw number, you know, 103 or whatever. <laughs> it has a number. Like, I, it's not like that at all. It's just, I understand the objective. The objective is I need my gun in front of my face, and I know how to get it there because my my depth of experience with running a gun, drawing a gun, shooting a gun in a, in a variety of different contexts and positions is broad enough that I just, I know how to do that. And I think it happens very subconsciously, but earlier on in my journey, it would not have been that way. And so perhaps, yeah, is there, could, does it make sense to have one draw to rule them all when you're starting out? There might be something to that. At least it's something to consider. You mentioned the other example of, oh, what was it that you had just mentioned that was kind of si- of a similar vein? Oh, uh, always train with your carry gun or train with the same yeah. gun or something That's like right. that. right. Yeah. yeah. And again, I think that that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, for me now, I can switch pretty interchangeably between a number of different guns and frankly, between pretty much about any gun. And not you know and, and 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 not lose too much in terms of performance, um, but was it always that way for me? No, no. So, so this is uh, so this brings up a really interesting thing that I think every person's got to figure out. What makes the most sense for you? Do you want to plan for ninety nine percent of scenarios and execute one draw? Well. Okay, you 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 think that over and think about whether that makes sense for you or not, or are you at a at a place where it makes sense to branch out a little bit and have a little bit more nuance in your application of skill? Yeah, like I can say for me, to me, I I feel more comfortable with what I'll call one single master appendix draw stroke. Like that for me, that's what I do. Uh, I, I I bring the I, I keep the gun you know up against the body at a safe safe angle. I bring it up high high center and I punch it straight out toward target whatever direction the target is. That's what I do, and that works for me really well because it's it's very consistent. I have another draw stroke I have to deal with when I uh, when I go to church on Sundays. I wear a different type of holster in a different kind of position, so I have you know call that like my strong side draw. Right. So, and I, and I feel very confident. I don't ever worry about like, I'm going to go for the gun in the wrong place because I have these two different draws, but, um, but I, I'm very satisfied in my current skill level, having only one appendix carry draw and knowing that it will work for me. Uh, if I have a table or something in front of me, unless that thing is so tight that there's no room to get a gun with a hand around it through the space. So, mm-hmm. so I'm comfortable with that. Is there going to come a day where I might make changes? I don't know. I mean, if I could punch a straight line out 
from down front of my body all the way out to, to full extension and acquire my sights and have the same kind of visual acuity that you've developed and the skill that you developed. Maybe that's how I would do it because it would be faster, but I don't have that level of skill. I can't acquire my sights like, like the way you can. I don't have the visual acuity and training and, and practice repetitions to do so. So for me, I bring the gun up high center chest and I punch it straight out and I acquire the sights faster. That way it's easier for me to see what I'm, what I'm doing and, and to work the, the trigger that way. Mm-hmm. Now there is something here. I think that's relevant to just bring up as a, as a quick sidebar that's worth considering the dry fire drill in this month's shoot array challenge is more focused on some kind of start cue and then draw and present the gun and shoot. Um, but if you're se- seated behind a table or in a booth, there's something that we shouldn't overlook. And that is we perhaps have an even greater opportunity available to us to produce a surreptitious draw mm-hmm. because our hands uh, and waistline may not be as visible to a potential threat. And we may be able to take it, you know, particularly if his attention is elsewhere, we may be able to just like I've done right now, as I'm doing the podcast here, slide my hand in there, put it on the grip of my gun, even though it's still in the holster and it's ready to go. Like I've got my grip established. So when it's time to go, now it can come out uber fast uh, because I've I've staged my hand on the gun already. There's there is not a faster draw than one where you can start with your hand on the gun. And so, I, since we are talking about drawing from behind a table mm-hmm. and or a steering wheel, but especially in a table in this context, uh, that's that's a good thing to as as a tool to remember and not forget about that. If you were to find yourself in a situation where a firearm is necessary for your defense and you can take advantage of a surreptitious draw option, then you should do that. Yeah, that's, that's a super valid, good point. Um, and I had a really good follow-up that I've forgotten now what I was going to say. <laughs> but it was solid. Oh, I wanted to, I wanted, I was going to, it was, it was not a follow-up. It was a transition. I think we should talk for a minute about safety concerns. Yep. I, 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 I kind of started you. Yep, I kicked off our discussion earlier by mentioning that we see safety go out the window when we add this component. Uh, so dry fire, obviously, a great environment to, to to practice this because we know that this this tends to be a challenge. But obviously, you know, getting rid of the table or steering wheel or whatever object in front of us when we draw from a seated position, I, I <laughs> you know, nine point nine times out of ten, when you're doing this for the first time, you're gonna flag your legs. Like it's just we see this over and over and over and over again, don't we, Riley? I mean, it's just well, it's just I don't it's know a, if we see it that often because <laughs> we get ahead of it pretty good. We we try to mitigate this. I think what you're saying is if we were to sit down, students and just, that and were, just let people do it. Yeah, th- then yes, you're absolutely correct. man. It, and then this is obviously there's some challenges depending on where you're drawing from your body. So we're gonna address that in a moment. But let's just remember basic seated you know seated draw safety, right? which is that our, our legs are very much so below us and in front of us in such a way that we're trying to prevent the muzzle in those legs. So if you're coming from appendix, that maybe is arguably this is one of those places where appendix uh, shines to some degree because when you clear the holster, uh, if, you, if you're coming out from the body, you should have the muzzle pointed between the legs. So you know, in theory, we don't have as much of an issue if we then just you know continue to get that gun out and and forward toward a target. Uh, we're never we're never muzzling anything. 
If on the other hand, I'm drawing from you know, tr- you know strong side three o'clock or even further around you know, as a right-hander, uh, you know four o'clock, four thirty, five o'clock, something like that. Then bringing that gun out means that as I bring it around to my center line, where I might generally present it to target, in the same manner that I might normally do it while standing and and do so very safely. Now that's not safe because I'm going to pass over a leg in the process, my right leg in, in the context of what I've been saying as a right-handed person. So that means while seated, we have to practice that, right? I'm going to, I'm going to retrieve that gun. I'm going to bring it around. And in this case, what we would do is we'd tip it parallel and sneak it over the top of the leg and then bring it back up and, and around. Though bear in mind that if I'm sitting in a booth across from Riley and that's my draw plan, while I'm sneaking that thing over the top of my leg, I'm also muzzling Riley right in the gut. So, there's some contextual things here we have to think about depending on where you draw uh, and, and how you're seated relative to how I'm going to do that safely without muzzling anything. And since we're talking about putting an object in front of us now, in addition to thinking about how that's going to impede that movement, I think you should also consider the context. In a vehicle, no big deal. You know What's in front of me is my engine block. That's probably my safest direction anyway. But if I'm in a booth at a restaurant or sitting at a table at a restaurant and there's somebody across from me, which – if I'm not alone, it's probably somebody directly across from me. That's pretty. That's just the way we we do that socially. Then, if I have to pull that gun up parallel uh, in order to get it get the muzzle over my leg, then I'm potentially muzzling the person across from me in, in at the table. Yeah, well, that's a great point. Having to think about <clears throat> people you don't want to muzzle, and the fact that they. May- they may be straight across from you or you might have, you could have four people seated at a square table and you might have someone directly across from you and somebody to your left and somebody to your right. We need to be considering these things, thinking about proper muzzle aversion uh, or muzzle directions so that we can do things as, as ideally as possible safely. Um, You know, we always want to try to abide by safety and be as safe as possible. I recognize that there, there may be times that not ideal things happen by nature of the proximity and immediateness of the threat and, and you just react and you do the thing and yeah, but we're possible. We want to be thinking about these things and, and considering them beforehand so that we can try to avoid those problems were possible, including muzzling our own body, our own legs. The big one I see, Jacob, you nailed it on the head as far as like appendix carry, I think has a huge advantage in this regard because as you said, as soon as I clear top of holster, that, that muzzle comes right in front, uh, in front of me, but in between my legs. And that's an excellent position to be from because I can go from there a variety of directions. Now, if I had somebody straight across from me and I, I can't orient the gun forward, but maybe the chances are my threat. Well, I guess a threat could be beyond them and above them, in which case I'm going to want to get offline, right? Maybe my threat's to a side of me. I may I may need to orient my body. I can have my gun down. In fact, talk about surreptitious draw. I could have my gun out of holster, but held down low in between my legs until it's time to use. And I could do my best to orient my body and my legs, the directions I, the, the direction I need them to be. And from there, bring the gun up into the target. <clears throat> so there's a lot of opportunities there, but I, this is one of the strengths of the appendix carry position. 
strong side is the problematic one that I see from while seated. In fact, as a, as a good example, last year's IDPA national championship had a stage where the shooters started from a seated position. And the report I received was that there were numerous shooters that got disqualified on that stage because the RO was paying close attention. And as the shooters would draw, he was watching very closely as to whether they were bringing the muzzle across their dominant side leg or not. And it happened a good number of times. So as I mentioned, there was, there was a number of people that were disqualified on that single stage. And that was that, that stage from what I was told it was, is exactly what we're talking about with this shooter rate challenge, seated position, table in front of you, starting on the draw from that seated behind table position. So from the strong side position, uh, you've got to, you got to think about where that muzzle direction is pointed. And that is a tricky thing. Come clear out a holster. And if you have to just keep them, you know, just sort of point the muzzle slightly outward. So to the right, if you're right-handed or to the left, you're left-handed out and a little bit away from your leg until you get around yourself and you can bring it up. Or, and I mentioned this in the shooter rate challenge, alternatively, you might consider swinging that dominant side leg over towards your center line so you can kind of clear a path for the gun. Uh, all things that you want to think about and consider as you're thinking about where your body is in relation to your muzzle. But the strong side one is is the trickiest one on the draw. Well, yep, I dig it. So I want to talk a little bit about strategy and picking places we sit. And then I want to talk a little bit about the idea of like of a draw while seated versus stand and draw uh, as a as a concept. So uh, and we got a comment here from someone on YouTube, is, is, which is very relevant to where I'm about to go. Eric says maybe don't sit on the inside of a booth or sit on the safest place to draw, depending on your handedness, your hand orientation, or whatever we call that. Um, so I, I do think this is relevant. It very much so is. Um, I generally choose my seating arrangement in a, in a restaurant, if we're talking about a restaurant, for example, based on my um, hearing disadvantage. So I'm deaf in one ear. So my primary concern when I sit down at a restaurant is putting people on my good side. So, for example, the most recent time I was at a restaurant, there were six of us, four members of my family, me and my wife, two children, and my in-laws. Right, my father-in-law and mother-in-law. So six of us total. And we sat in a booth at an Olive Garden and there were three of us on each side. Someone's going to turn me in. Olive Garden has a no-gun policy. <laughs> but I don't care. News so, to me. Yeah, so if, if the Olive Garden in Cheyenne, Wyoming wants to kick me out next time I'm there, they just they just <laughs> go ahead and do that if they, if they catch wind of this. So, so I, my immediate thinking is to be on the furthest outside you know, of, of the booth Toward toward what exiting the booth, and to be on the side of that that puts my left ear foot facing inward. That's my first orientation. That's I I do that automatically because otherwise that's going to be a lame night. I'm not going to hear anybody, right? So in the same way, you know, we got to think a little bit of. And by the way, that also like plays perfectly to me being a right-handed shooter. <laughs> it just works. Um, so so that works out just fine. It makes it easier for me to stand up and exit, stand up and draw, stand up and fire, or to be able to fire without muzzling over you know the heads of the people I care about. But but the same thing applies, right? When you sit down at a restaurant, well, you know everyone knows, oh, back to the wall and face the entrances and things like that. 
Well, maybe there's some another thing here for you to be thinking about, and that is um, what maximizes my ability to get my gun out and and deploy it and potentially get out of my seat or like you were saying riley a, ch a table versus a booth probably preferable because then i have a chair i can kick out of the way or just let fall over or scoop back to add space or whatever it is versus being stuck in a booth so so these are all like considerations i don't think i need to get more detailed than that only to say that obviously at what end of the booth uh, you know, booth versus table and any number of these things could be relevant. As you start doing some dry fire practice at the house, you can sit at your dining room table and you should do some, you could do some experimentation, obviously, over the course of natural life as you're going to a restaurant, some places like this and school. Some of you might be college students that are listening to this uh, or work. You work at a desk. I do most days. I'm sitting in front of a desk all the time. You start to just think through it like, oh man, if I had to draw right now, like how would I do that? What would that look like? Could I do it safely? Or, you know, would I muzzle this other person in the room? So I think that, that we got to think a little bit about, uh, you know, seat selection can, can help us here. Mm -hmm. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, there's the age old wisdom, I guess, of, you know, always sit with your uh, with your back, you know, in the corner against the corner, you're facing the door. Um, think about exits and entrances and, you know, where you can escape to and like the classic wisdom, um, which as a general rule, I, I abide by, but I'm also kind of at a point in my life that where, when given the choice or where I have the option, I'm going to maybe choose something that's obviously more advantageous to me in terms of seating arrangement. Um, whether that's, I mean, I will choose a table over a booth any day because I always prefer sitting at a table versus a booth. Um, I'm a big guy. I don't care for booths. And plus I like the mobility of sitting at a table and also with considerations as far as like a situational awareness kind of thing. But I, I tend to not get too wrapped around the axle less so than I may be used to. Um, there are other strategies and other ways to maintain awareness of your surroundings and what's going on and to still have a plan and execute that plan. And also just recognizing that what's my actual true risk factor here, you know, uh, based on I'm in the Olive Garden uh, in Cheyenne. Well, probably not highly likely I'm about to get into a shootout in, in that particular location. Um, doesn't mean we shouldn't be prepared or shouldn't at least be ready that something could happen because things can happen just about anywhere these days. But I don't try to let my life be dictated by some, you know, uh, rules that that I feel like I got to abide by. I prefer to, I mean, for I'll give you an example, like doing things with my family out and about. I always try to think about how I'm going to defend them. At the same time, I also want to foc be focused on spending time with them and not, you know, being this hyper, hyper vigilant, uh, constantly, you know, anxious, nervous, whatever that would be, paranoid, whatever. I don't know, but I'd rather be focused and in the moment, enjoying the moment while still maintaining some sense of awareness and what's going on. And while trying to take those advantageous positions where possible, but the priority is the quality of time with my family. And yes, I, I know there's probably some dudes out there going to call me. I'd be like, no safety's number one. Um, Yes, because it's hard to have a good time if we're not safe, but we also just have to we just have to weigh our actual risk factors. And 
we're it's not about prioritizing. Always, yeah. Yeah. Just the, what's most important right now. And uh, for example, at the Olive Garden in Cheyenne, Wyoming, my back was to the main entrance of that restaurant because I had to choose, right? Like, well, I can like, sit over there, but I won't hear anybody. <laughs> I'll be pretty, pretty bad company. And my draw hand will be toward the inside of the booth against a human. Or I can sit with my back to the door, but I'll actually like have a conversation with these people I care about, be able to hear what they say, and be able to draw my gun more efficiently. So you know, you you, you have to sometimes make choices. Sometimes you got to pick, and yeah. so it becomes an issue of prioritization. And and yeah, the risk factor gets played in. You know, becomes a, a, a variable in that prioritization yeah. of those things. Because some of what I was trying to say a minute ago is that. And I know a few guys that are kind of like this where their attitude when out in public is kind of like they're dining or going to an amusement park or whatever in Jalalabad or something, you know, <laughs> all the time. And it's like, well, let's put it in context here and, and think about what our, our our true risk factors are. But anyway, sure. um, drawing from behind the table or steering wheel. Let's talk about the car a little bit. So we don't, we've been focusing a little bit more on like tables and booths and restaurants and that kind of thing. The car is an interesting environment. Um, it is a challenging environment to fight from and to fight within. Let's first just address the topic of seat belts because this is one that comes up. And I think there's a lot of misconceptions sometimes about seatbelts as far as their true challenges or not. Um, I, again, I think the appendix carry position really shines in this regard because I know some people would say, well, no, the seatbelt's got to be in the way of that, right? And it's not at all. In fact, where my gun is and where the holster is and where my belt line is that the holster is attached to Comparing that to my seat belt across, particularly the lap belt portion, that's sitting low enough. It's sitting below the holster and below the gun. My gun is completely accessible, even while belted within the vehicle. So that's that's first and foremost. I want to make sure that 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 is clear for listeners of this episode that there's zero for me from an appendix position. There's zero interference while seated in a vehicle with respect to seatbelts. The only interference, it would be similar to if I was just standing, and that is having a cover garment in the way. So when I do belt up, pretty commonly, I will take my shirt and pull it out from under the belt so that it's free and clear. The belt now sits low across my hips, like it should, out of the way, my shirt's over top of the gun and over top of the belt. And if I needed to draw, well, I can do it two-handed. I can do it one-handed, just like I would if I didn't have to deal with a seatbelt. Strong side, I would say it depends on exactly where on your strong side, how far forward, how far back, uh, where your your actual seatbelt buckle is located, the shape of your seats. So this is, a, a again, a good case to be made for appendix carry because it doesn't matter so much about some of these factors. But again, the shape of your seats, how deep the seats are, where your gun and holster is in relation to all of that seat, belt, buckle, all of that is stuff that we need to consider. If you need to get your belt undone as part of the draw stroke, whether because it makes it easier or because you are wanting to 
potentially have an avenue for escape from that vehicle because again fighting from within the vehicle is 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 essentially a last resort uh because it's you're very confined and you're basically motionless so that's a very vulnerable position to be in um but the technique i use i think i picked up from mike seeklander but basically you dive your your hand in your support hand well in my case my support hand my left hand uh dive that in underneath the shoulder belt and then you reach down and hit your buckle and when you do it that way you hit the buckle and then the belt just come like it 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 you don't have to like do a secondary step. Yeah, of it doesn't, it doesn't trap belt. an arm. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like you just, you've just accomplished that all in one step. You slid your, your arm essentially through the belt, hit the buckle. And now the belt's just going to fall off and basically roll across your arm. So that's, that's the way I prefer to do that. And it works exceptionally well. And when you just practice that, it sort of becomes the norm. Yeah, I, I think uh, this all comes down to dry fire, guys, which is kind of the point of the Shooter Ready Challenge. It's certainly the point of this conversation today is like, well, have you tried it? Uh, which is, I think, the phrase you used earlier today, Riley, right? Hey, have you tried it? You know, Have mm-hmm. you taken a, an inert gun, either a dedicated training gun or just take your real gun and barrel block it? That's a verb now, Riley, by the way, I decided. Barrel block, in addition to being a product, is now a verb. Like, just, just barrel block it. Okay? I'll, I'll submit that to Merriam-Webster. Thank you. Appreciate that. So barrel block the gun and go try this crap. And the car is easy. The, the, the table, this is these are easy things. You can do this in the garage or at the dining room table. So yeah, sit in the car, and and you know, does the seatbelt really impede your draw? Um, and I think nine nine out of ten times it really shouldn't. I mean, if you carry it three o'clock on the hip, the seatbelt sitting right on top of it, that might be a challenge, and you might need to get rid of the seatbelt to get to it. And I think your tips, uh, Riley, about. Uh, you know, getting getting the seatbelt off and things like that are really really valid. But this is going to come down to testing and trying. And um, I you know I spent years carrying it about four four thirty on my on my waist. And in those circumstances, when I would you know practice drawing in the vehicle, I would lean forward. In fact, I would generally grab the steering wheel with my support hand, and I would use it to pull my body forward. Because sometimes in those bucket seats, you really kind of sink back into them. And you know, it's not just an issue of like being tough enough. It's just like they're designed to make this hard. So I just grab you know, the steering wheel, pull myself forward. That exposes the grip of the gun. I can access it, grab it, and deploy it, move it around uh, safely as needed. So I think it's just a matter of practice you know, to get, get these things figured out. Um, but the steering wheel does not need to be a problem if, if, you, if you practice this and you, and you draw in such a way where we just get the gun to our center line safely and then we, we we bring the gun up and we push it out toward the target. And I, I'm, by the way, I'm saying toward the target because this is really relevant. Whether I'm seated in the booth at the restaurant or at the table or in the car, uh, we can't presume that our target's going to be directly in front of us mm-hmm. You know, at 12 o'clock. So uh, when you're doing this dry fire, when you're doing these practices. In fact, it uh, probably you know, is not. Yeah, it seems unlikely, right? It's <laughs> highly unlikely. So so you got to practice like, okay, what if my target's over here at 10 o'clock? Okay, you know, draw, push. Right. And so, so think how you would not just get the gun out and draw it, but also how you, you know, twisting at the, at the, at the, at the hips, at the waist, and what it looks like for you to push the target, push the gun out. And there's going to be some situations. I mean, if I got to, if I'm sitting in the car and I got to draw the gun, deploy it at, you know, eight o'clock, you know, th- that's probably happening one handed. Like that's not going to be some nice two hand, your know, target presentation thing. Like it's going to look really freaking weird. But, but I'll figure it out if the day comes and I got and I got to do it right so that's another consideration when you're uh, drawing from a seated position uh, 
especially with an object in the way that makes it more difficult to twist and turn and orient toward target um, is, is this is something that you might want to consider in your dry fire. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, just, I guess with respect to from the, within the vehicle steering wheel, watch out for that thing. It, it, it's like reaching out to grab you. It's really easy to snag things on the steering wheel. And obviously in the vehicle, we need to give some consideration too as well uh, with respect to where our passengers are located, what they're doing, safety considerations for them. So just a couple other things I want to make sure I throw out or I feel like we wouldn't be doing it, you know, complete justice as far as this topic's concerned. But other than that, you know, the draw stroke is pretty much as we described it earlier. And, you know, it's all about getting the gun out of the holster, getting the gun up to where we can now maneuver it around any environmental obstacles and to where we need to put those rounds on target, whether that's to our left, straight ahead, to our right, whatever that might be. Get to work, set this up, practice it, do it in practice within your vehicle. Be familiar with your vehicle. Don't do it in the Walmart parking lot. Probably <laughs> not a good idea. Okay. Uh, but find a, a safe, secure, private location where maybe you can practice these sort of things so you don't get any crazy looks coming your way or people calling the cops on you. Do it within your garage. It's a great, great place. In fact, Matthew. He's got a great video um, where he, you know, did some things within his vehicle inside his garage. Uh, it's a great, a great setup for that. So, the, as you mentioned, Jacob, that's kind of the whole point of doing this, talking about this today, making this a topic for Shooter Aid Challenge. Is we want you guys to to be thinking about these non-conventional drawing positions and how you would deal with them and how you would actually perform with them. And you need to actually practice them. Yep. One, one final thought for me, Riley, and this doesn't need to be something that we dwell on much, but, uh, and you kind of hinted at it, but I want to make sure we, we bring it full circle here. Um, When you're doing this practice, it's also worth noting that there's something to be said about not remaining seated, right? Getting up. Uh, When you, you talked about this, when you, when you were talking about the car, how that's kind of a last resort to fight from within the vehicle, much easier be to bail out, you know, extract yourself from that, that, you know, very difficult place and, and, you know, use the vehicle as cover or whatever it might be. But is regardless of of what the seated position is, you're generally going to be better when you can become mobile, not, not necessarily that you're a better shooter. Like that's not the inference here though. That's probably statistically likely, but, but more so I'm referring to the idea that, well, I may not want to just stay seated here where I can, you know, unfortunately be stuck taking fire. I'm going to be much more effective if I can be mobile, if I can be moving, not to mention that might draw fire away from you know, people who are with me, if I, who, I, who I love and care about. So that's something to be considering. And that might look like, depending on the scenario and how I'm seated and where I am, it might look like me drawing and shooting and then choosing to get up and move. It might look like me drawing while I'm standing. It might look like me standing, then drawing. Uh, and, you know, Any number of things could contextually you know change what that looks like so those are all variations of that that probably makes sense to practice mm-hmm. yep yep excellent considerations there well i think uh it's about time we wrap this up we hope that this episode was helpful for you guys uh give you some things to think about give you some ideas for your practice your dry fire all of the above and we hope that you'll actually take that to heart and actually work on it that's how we get better at things so, yeah, 
our sponsors. Again, we thank uh, BarrelBlock, BarrelBlock.com, being a sponsor of this episode and of Shoot Right Challenge, as well as Laser App, L-A-S-R-A-P-P.org. So thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our title sponsor, Silencer Shop. And uh, guys, if it's been a while, or if you haven't done this before, I mean, it's been a while since I mentioned it, but we certainly always do appreciate reviews of the podcast. Uh, feel free to leave a review on whether it's uh, iTunes, if you're listening to uh, to the podcast via Apple. I think you still do reviews on Google Play. I think you can even do reviews on uh, Spotify, where the podcast is available as well. Or leave us comments, suggestions, send us an email. Uh, you can always email us at podcast at concealedcarry.com if you want to share your thoughts with us or ask questions or topic suggestions. Those are all welcome. So before we sign on out on out of here, Jacob, last words, anything you want to throw out there? Just thank you for participating with us live. For those of you who were with us live today, and for those of you who are subscribed to the podcast feed, thank you very much for always tuning in. We appreciate it. We've been here a long time. Many of you have been with us the whole time. And for those of you who joined us more recently, we hope that you're getting value with every single episode. Absolutely. Wonderful. Well, folks, take care. Be safe out there. And a reminder, until next time, train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. Take care.